the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Someone put it this way. It said, and listen to this. This is a great statement. Great heights of adoration, praise, and worship can be reached by a devout congregation during the sermon as the things of God pass before them. That's a great statement. Let me read it again. Great heights of adoration, praise, and worship can be reached by a devout congregation. Notice he said, during the sermon, not after necessarily, during the sermon as the things of God pass before them. It seems like the trend these days is to shorten the amount of time a church devotes to the preaching of the Word of God. We do other things to make church more exciting and relevant. We can never separate worship from the Word. Reading the Scripture, singing the Scripture, praying the Scripture, and preaching the Scripture are all part of true worship. It makes sense that worship that doesn't emphasize God's own revelation to us in His Word is going to be shallow and superficial. Our goal here at Verse by Verse is to communicate the clear teaching of God's Word because we believe that God's Word is what can change people's lives. If you have missed any of the previous messages in this series on worship and would like to get caught up, you can listen to them or download them at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's message. You see, worship demands purity demands godliness. Psalm 24 affirms this, where David says in verses 3 and 4, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Who, who can worship God? David says, he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood, he has not sworn deceitfully. God will not receive your worship, no matter how much Bible you know, no matter how emotional you are, no matter how much feeling and zeal and passion you put into it, he will not receive your worship if you are holding on to some sin. Perhaps an unforgiving spirit that you refuse to forgive somebody. You know you should, but you're not. You're going you're gonna to fester bitterness. Or maybe it's an attitude of rebellion towards someone in authority over you, someone who you work with, someone uh, even at church can have that. A problem with the elders, a problem with pastoral staff. Could be at school, but some authority could be in the home. A wife having a problem submitting to her husband, children having a problem submitting to their, their parents, their teachers perhaps. It could be animosity towards someone. You just don't like someone to the point of, of you really have an attitude. Or maybe you're involved in an unethical business endeavor. Or you're involved in sexual immorality. If those things and others are in your life, if you worship God in that state... Really, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy because God is not even listening to you. How do we know that? I'd like you to look at Psalm 66, verse 18. I want us to look at this, and then I want to clarify because inevitably people get scared when they look at this verse and they, they get somewhat intimidated by it, but I want to clarify it. The psalmist said, Psalm 66, verse 18, if I regard 
iniquity or wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear, meaning the Lord will not hear me. There are some people who look at this and get very discouraged because they say, well, look, I've got sin in my heart. How, how then can, I can never pray again. I can never worship again. But that's not what this statement means. To regard iniquity or wickedness in your heart is, folks, to cherish it, not to have it there. We all have it there. It's to cherish it and to refuse to repent of it. You're aware of something, and even though you know it's wrong, you're holding on to it. That's what it means to regard iniquity in your heart. There's a difference between struggling with sin and cherishing your sin. For example, let me illustrate it this way. You may struggle with forgiving somebody. All of us do. You may genuinely desire to forgive someone, and in your heart you've said many times, I forgive that person, I forgive him, I forgive her, and yet you continue to struggle with that. In fact, every time you see that that person, your stomach does a little turn, and uh, you cry out to God, you hate your sin, you cry out for victory and for God to help you forgive this person, and yet you keep struggling. I want you to know that is not cherishing or regarding sin in your heart, that's warring against it. God hears a person who wars against it. So don't be discouraged by Psalm 66, 18, unless you have cherished sin in your heart and you refuse to repent of it, then you need to repent of it or else God will not receive your worship. He's not even listening to you. So before we gather to worship the Lord, before you gather with others on Sunday to worship the Lord, you need to make sure your heart is prepared to worship. And you do that by making sure that there is no sin in your life that you're cherishing, that you're holding on to. You confess it, you're cleansed, now you're ready to enter into the worship service with others. But I want to just say something. This is not only true for public worship. This is true for any worship. You need to make sure that you're clean before God, that you've confessed your sin before Him, before you can worship Him in private. Because what I want to convey to you is that public worship is just an extension of your private worship. You don't become a worshiper when you step into this room. What you do is you just carry your worship into the room and join others who are worshiping the Lord. That's the biblical perspective. So the first truth to guide us in our corporate worship is this. A church worship service consists of prepared hearts. The second truth to guide us in our corporate worship is that a church worship service involves the preaching of the Word of God. You come with a prepared heart, but it's my responsibility to teach the Word of God to you. Martin Luther said this once. He said, when I declare the Word of God, I offer sacrifice. That's, he said, that's my sacrifice to the Lord, and I can certainly relate to that. Every uh, Friday when I finish my, uh, my sermon preparation, I, I like to just take the sermons, the, the papers that I have, and just uh, bow before the Lord and say, Lord, this, this has taken hours, this has taken a draining effort, it's, it's for you. It's worship. But Luther went on to say this. When I declare the word of God, he said, I offer sacrifice. When thou hearest the word of God with all thy heart, thou dost offer sacrifice. It's both. It's both. You see, you can never separate worship from the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Why why is that? Because it is through preaching that we know about God. And it is in worship that we praise him for what we have come to know about him. 
You can't separate it. Praise and preaching always goes together. In fact, Psalm 119 is the one psalm, the one section of Scripture totally devoted to the Word of God. Psalm 119 is the psalmist pouring out his heart about God's Word. And in Psalm 119, verses, uh, verse 171, he said this, Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me your statutes. Let my lips utter praise, for you teach me. I'm taught, therefore I respond. You see, all genuine worship is a heartfelt response to the truth of God's word. And, and God's word comes alive to us in the worship service through preaching and teaching. Someone put it this way. It said, and listen to this, this is a great statement. Great heights of adoration, praise, and worship can be reached by a devout congregation during the sermon as the things of God pass before them. That's a great statement. Let me read it again. Great heights of adoration, praise, and worship can be reached by a devout congregation. Notice he said, during the sermon, not after necessarily, during the sermon as the things of God pass before them. Now, you know what should be happening to you as you hear the word of God taught? Your heart should be stirred. Your heart should be stirred and ignited to respond in praise and thanksgiving to God. As a truth of Scripture is taught, you ought to be uh, offering up to God in, in, your, in your heart. Not, not out loud, not distracting, but in your heart to God, thank you. Lord, I praise you for this. I, I'm in awe of you for this. Praise God for this. That's what ought to be happening. I remind you, was not this the experience of the two disciples on the road to the village of Emmaus. Do you remember the story? In Luke chapter 24, you don't need to turn there, but let me just kind of paraphrase it for you. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus has died for our sins. He has risen again. And uh, some of the disciples are hearing that the Lord has risen, but they don't know what's going on. And Jesus is walking uh, in that vicinity of, of Jerusalem, and he, he comes upon two disciples called the disciples on the road to Emmaus, because Emmaus was a little village in that vicinity. And so these two disciples, he comes alongside of them and they look very discouraged and very down and, and, and uh, the Lord somehow hid himself from them. Maybe he had a cloak over and they didn't know who he was. And so he basically says, uh, why are you so down? And they said, well, we thought this man, Jesus, was the Messiah, but he's died. And some of them, some of the disciples say that he's, he's risen again, but we don't know. We thought it was he who would redeem Israel. And Jesus reproves them. He said, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have told you. Did not the prophets tell you that Messiah would die and rise again? And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded the scriptures to him. He explained it to him. He exposited the scriptures to him, to them. How I would have loved to have been there, just, a, just even a, a, a fly in the Middle East, just, just listening to that. But he took them through the Bible and he explained the correct interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures. And then the Bible says that after he left them, their eyes were open. They understood it was Jesus who taught them. And the Bible says that they spoke amongst themselves, these two men. They said, did not our hearts burn within us as he expounded the scriptures to us? That is what ought to be taking place as the word of God is taught. Your heart should burn. Your heart should be ignited. There, there ought to be some stirring, some response in your heart to the Lord. That is why preaching 
and praise go together and worship. Now, we don't know, and we have to be very, very honest about this, we don't know the precise manner of style in which the early church carried out their worship services. Um, we, 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 don't, we have not been given a great amount of uh, information about when the early church got together, what did they do? Now, there are some people who want to tell us that 1 Corinthians is what we ought to follow. You should never follow the Corinthians. Never. They're, the, they're not an example to us. Now, we'll follow Paul's teaching to the Corinthians, but the Corinthians had a chaotic worship service. You don't go to 1 Corinthians 14 to figure out what to do. In fact, you stay away from what the Corinthians did. Paul is correcting the Corinthians. He's not saying that it's a wonderful worship service you have. But we do know, we do know that when the early church gathered to worship the Lord, teaching was a vital part of their worship service. And let me, let me run by you some scriptures about that. Acts chapter Two. In Acts chapter 2, this is right at the birth of the church. The birth was, uh, of the church took place on the day of Pentecost, which is a Jewish feast. And Peter has preached a sermon. And 3,000, the Bible says 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. 3,000 people came to know Christ in one day. And then uh, what did they do after that? Well, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 tells us, when it says they were continually devoting themselves, meaning the church, the, the Jerusalem church. They devoted themselves to what? First, to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which I take as communion, and to prayer. So they, these were the four elements of their worship when they got together. But I want you to see that the first thing they did was that they sat down and the apostles taught them the word of God. Teaching was a vital part. 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is what we have been going over in the evening service. I invite you back tonight. We'll continue this about when uh, women come to worship, what should be their, uh, their godliness evidenced in their lives. 1 um, Timothy chapter 2 is about the worship service. Because we know this because he speaks in the first eight verses about um, uh, when the church gathers, it, it, it should be praying, there should be prayers. And then he mentions in verse 8, therefore I want the men in every place, meaning every place when the church gathers, every church gathering, to pray. The, the men are to pray, lead in prayer, but not just men, but godly men, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. The emphasis there is not the hand lifting up, but the holiness that goes with it. Godly men. And then he says in verse 9, likewise, I want the women. So he's now continuing to talk about worship and what the women should be like. The men should be holy and godly. And now he's going to say the women should be holy and godly. And that uh, here's how they should behave. Notice verses 11 and 12. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. This is a reference to the church service, and rather than seeing this as a negative verse, and yes, there's a negative aspect here. Paul is saying that, um, that women are not allowed in the church worship service to be teaching the men, and if you want to know why, then you need to come back tonight and next week, and we'll, we'll deal with this. But he, uh, he is saying, yes, there's a negative aspect. The women are not to be teaching the men, but there's a positive aspect because what he does say is that the women ought to quietly receive instruction. And that word instruction means to be taught. It means to be a disciple, a learner, which tells us that when the early church got together, they listened 
to men to uh, teach. That's what I want you to see, that, that this verse gives us insight that when the church gathered together, they gathered to be taught. The problem here uh, at this church was that some of the women were teaching, and Paul says, no, they're not to be teachers, they are to be learners. So, uh, the early church certainly had that in their worship service. But in fact, in two, two, chap- two uh, chapters later, in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul will tell Timothy that uh, when the church gathers, as long as he's there, it's his responsibility as the apostolic representative, his representative, to teach the whole church. Notice verse 13, and this is kind of the, uh, the main verse that, that I fall back on as far as expository teaching, what we're to do. Paul says, until I come, give attention, he's writing to Timothy, to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. He says, Timothy, when the church gathers, here's what you do. You read the word, you explain it to them, and then you exhort them to obey it. That's expository preaching. But certainly the church was to be taught. And then in Colossians 3.16, you don't need to turn there, but Paul combines, he links worship and the ministry of the word, where he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he speaks about our singing to the Lord. So the pattern of the New Testament is that when we gather to worship, we must be taught the Bible because only a correct understanding of God's word, the word of God, will lead us to praise and adore the God of the word. You can't worship the God of the Word if you don't know the Word of God. I think it's very ironic and very tragic today that so many churches have moved away from the, their emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God to now emphasizing praise and worship uh, music. And I'm all for praise and worship music, but never at the expense of the teaching of the Word of God. And what they don't realize is that the very thing that will enhance their worship, sound biblical preaching, is what they minimize. And I believe the result has been shallow worship, superficial worship. It is ironic that, they, that these folks want to worship, but they have moved away from the, from the very glory of what will help them in worship. Uh, there have been churches, there are churches today that have had wonderful historic repu- uh, reputations for strong pulpits in the past, but they've moved away from that because they, they want to become all things to all men and, they, they wanna, and their hearts are probably in the right place of reaching out and, and so forth, but uh, what they have forgotten is that the glory of their ministry was the sound pulpit teaching of the Word of God. That will enhance worship. And there's a balance. You don't want to take the whole time and teach teaching. You, you want more, but you certainly don't want to minimize that. John Stott, in his excellent book on preaching, and I, I believe it's the best book. It's certainly the best book I've ever read on preaching. It's called Between Two Worlds. I say that for those of you who may be studying for the ministry. That is one great book, Between Two Worlds. He said this about divorcing preaching from worship. He said, the two cannot be divorced. Indeed, it is their unnatural divorce which amounts for the low level of so much contemporary worship. Our worship is poor because our knowledge of God is poor. And our knowledge of God is poor because our preaching is poor. But when the word of God is expounded in its fullness and the congregation begins to glimpse at the glory of the living God, they bow down in solemn awe and joyful wonder before his throne. It is preaching which accomplishes this, the proclamation of the word of God in the power of the spirit of God. That is why, he writes, preaching is unique and irreplaceable. 
irreplaceable, end of quote. So a church worship service, what have we seen? It must, first of all, consist of people whose hearts are prepared. You are to make sure that your hearts are prepared. And I might just say, just a word of of advice, maybe you want to make sure you get a good night's sleep Saturday. Just just a word of, uh, of caution about that. Secondly, biblical preaching ought to be part of the worship service. And that's, that's my commitment, our elders' commitment to you, that we will teach the Word of God to you. And we're not, we're not cutting back on that. In fact, we're going to add an hour. To, no, I'm kidding. I just want to see your heads look up. I did that in the early service, and uh, I got some real bright eyes looking at me. Remember Spanky and our gang, Buckwheat? He'd always raise his eyes. I got that in the early service. The Buckwheat Christian look. So... Well, there's a third truth to guide us in our corporate worship, and it's this, that a church worship service involves, number three, spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices. I'd like you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, and there's a great statement that Peter gives in verse 5. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Peter says this, Writing to believers, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Why, he writes, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in this verse, Peter informs us that as God's people today, we are all priests. Did you know that? We are all priests. We are a priesthood. And and priests would come into God's presence and... and, uh, They'd offer up sacrifices. You are all, I am priest Steve. That's, that's really what I am. And you are a priest. And as a holy priesthood, what are we to do? We are to offer up, he says, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, what does he mean by that? What does he mean? What is a spiritual sacrifice? I think that often when we hear the term spiritual, we think of non-material, non-physical That's not what what Peter means. That's not synonymous. Spiritual sacrifices are not necessarily non-material or non-physical sacrifices, although some of them are, but that's not, it is not, uh, spiritual is not synonymous with non-material. What is a spiritual sacrifice? A spiritual sacrifice is something the Spirit of God directs you to give to the Lord. That's what makes it spiritual. Not whether it's physical or uh, or invisible, it's something the Spirit of God directs you to give to the Lord. Now, how do we know what the Spirit of God is directing us to give to Him? Well, beloved, He directs us by the Word of God. And the Bible specifically tells us about spiritual sacrifices that we should bring to Him as we gather together with others to worship Him. I'm going to give you from the New Testament three spiritual sacrifices you ought to bring to the Lord each time you come here on Sunday. These are three spiritual sacrifices that you are to give to him each Sunday that you come. First of all, number one, the Bible talks about the spiritual sacrifice of praise. Hebrews chapter 13, right? Just a few, a uh, couple of books before Peter. You see James and then Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, tucked away at the end, towards the end of this wonderful letter, In verse 15, our writer tells us this, Hebrews 13, verse 15. He says, through him, through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, and he clarifies it, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. 
Just as an Old Testament worshiper was to bring an animal or a grain sacrifice to God, so today, God doesn't want that, but today what he wants, he wants us to worship him by bringing to him our praise and thanksgiving. That's exactly what what, uh, the writer means here. He says we are to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise, which means, now watch this, I said this before, but I'll reiterate it, we don't go to church in order to praise God. We bring our praise to church with us so that we can praise God together with other worshipers. Did you catch what Pastor Steve said? Our worship is poor because our knowledge of God is poor. And our knowledge of God is poor because our preaching is poor. We may have a form of worship, but if the foundation isn't solid, the result won't be solid either. We really need to get back to the basics of biblical worship. We're so glad you joined us today on Verse by Verse. This radio program features the teaching ministry of Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. If you would like information about our church, we have a website, lakesidechapel.com, or you can call us at 727-239-0306. Our Verse by Verse website, versebyverseradio.org, has a lot of resources you're going to want to take advantage of. Verse by Verse is a listener-supported radio ministry, so we depend upon you, our listeners, to help us cover the costs involved in producing and airing these radio Bible classes. We're very grateful to each of you who give to support this ministry. On our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will continue teaching us about the act of true worship. Be sure to tune in. Until then, this is Jerry Pruden for all the team here at Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.